Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. I love to read. And that's a good thing, because when you host a radio show and podcast that's all over the latest news and culture, there's a lot of reading. The latest book I picked up was a debut novel called Last Summer on State Street. And I'll be honest, it stopped me in my tracks. The narrator and author Toya Wolf's coming-of-age story is Felicia Stevens, or Fifi, a 12-year-old Black girl with aspirations, joys, and some serious challenges. Her perspective and those of her friends Precious, Stacia, and Tanya really struck me. Now, as a Black woman, I can tell you firsthand, stories centering the voices of Black girls, they are few and far between. I sat down with Toya Wolf to hear more about how her personal memories of growing up in Chicago's Robert Taylor Holmes live on through the friend group featured in her book. So this is your first novel. First of all, I got to say congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> Why did you choose this setting, though, the Robert Taylor Holmes back in 1999? I think the setting chose me. Um, every time we'd have a like writing prompt in school, I was back in these buildings. Um, and I just realized, you know what? Go with it. You know this land. Mm-hmm. Your family lived there for three generations. So just sort of see what happens. Yeah. Well, the story is uh, about four black girls in Bronzeville. Yes. And the narrator of the story is Fifi. She's 12 years old. Yeah. You so rarely, though, see a young black girl be the narrator in stories. Right. Uh, to see the story through her experience, I think, is, is pretty rare. What was that like for you to be able to create that narrative? It was really natural for me. And after I wrote it, then I realized, like, whoa, th- this perspective um, is rarely written about. You rarely see it on television. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the wonder years for little black girls in the housing project. And just as important, just as valuable. Yeah, um, so, true. so I realized later, like, whoa, you really have something here that's different. Yeah, well, how many stories then have you read, you know, growing up that were from the perspective of a young black girl, did center a young black girl? I'm guessing from what you just said, not very many. Very few. And they were not set in Chicago. So that was important to tell this story set in my South Side. Um, we talk about the South Side all the time, even like Michelle Obama's South Side, Lena Waithe's South Side. And I was right. like, I'm going to talk about Toya Wolf's South Side. So. Love it. So the book starts out with a, a scene that I think you can find in pretty much any neighborhood with kids. Right? Yeah. The girls are playing double dutch. Um, they're inviting a new friend into the mix. They're buying snow cones. Beautiful day. Then a shootout. Yes. That juxtaposition. Talk about that. of Innocence and then this sudden danger. 
It was important uh, to characterize because uh, in books that are written, especially like in housing projects, you have a lot of sort of the the negative, the shooting, the gangs, the gang violence. Um, but I thought there was something missing. And I just recall like in my childhood, there were both. We had a childhood and then it was disrupted often. Yeah. So it was important to characterize that. The, the book reads kind of like older Fifi, Remembering the Summer, yeah. um, telling the story to someone else, right? To a friend. Yes. You even see just like when we're retelling a story in real life to another person that she kind of comes to some realizations in real time. It's almost like she's coming to her own conclusions as she's actually telling the story of that summer. Yes. And I, I think oftentimes when we reflect on our childhood, first of all, you need the distance to be able to kind of process what happened. Um, I don't know about you, but when, when I'm telling a story to someone, there's a lot of sort of sidebars and interruptions. And I wanted to make that natural for her. Um, so that's why you get a little bit of that. Oh, yeah. I'm queen of that because I, I think my <laughs> mind just wanders. And so <laughs> yes, I often think it's it's to a fault, though. And I'm like, stay on task. <laughs> Tell the story. But that's what conversation is, you know. I think if you're being vulnerable, you are sharing what you are processing as you're telling what, you know, what happened. So what conclusions do you think Fifi is coming to? I mean, some of it is that the people that she sort of thought were the villains were also victims. Um, Some of it is that that summer was really important. It had some joyful moments. It had some really terrible things that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot. I mean, it's a novel, but I I feel like even at the end of the novel, she's still sort of processing what's next for her and what really happened back then. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this other scene here. Uh, This one where the girls are all excited to go see the fireworks in Grant Park. Uh, Another childhood moment of innocence, (laughs) right? Um, As they're driving out of the neighborhood, um, Stacia points out the window to a wide open space. Yeah. Where... Her home used to be before the building was demolished. Yeah. And Fifi says, quote, reality snatched us out of our giggling moment. It was like that that summer. One minute we laughed loud and played hard. The next we were silent and worried. That's the sense that you get throughout the entire story. Yeah. And I, you know, so I think I can't speak for every fiction writer, but it's really difficult for us to tell stories without dragging some of our actual lives into the book. And when I think back on my childhood, it was like that. Like there were incredibly happy moments. And um, but the next second, something crazy uh, could happen. And so it's like when you so it was important in the book to have these scenes where the girls were just being kids and having fun mm-hmm. and taking a beat from what was you know happening. Um, but I really wanted to characterize that, that like it really is sort of a moment to moment moment sort of thing. Um, there wasn't just like shootings at night, you know, there could be shootings at 6 a.m. where you get ready for school. Um, so I really it was important to like have a full picture like hey it's the holiday we're out here we're at the fireworks but that doesn't mean that when you get home Mm -hmm. there may not be a whole other thing happening in the neighborhood kind of saddens me to hear you say that too when you you you're saying it's so matter of fact but that's just reality you're like oh it could be at 6 a.m too like don't forget yeah and i placed the story in 1999 um for a reason i was a sophomore in college at the time and i was working at a community center that was across the street from the robert taylor homes and the the building specifically where my family lived um they hadn't started the demolition just yet 
but I just like watched these kids have like joy and I just thought about what was coming for them. Yeah. Um, and no matter what I had sort of survived growing up, like I was away at college, there was, there was already some privilege, you know, going on. But I just, I sort of thought about all of the transitions. Because for kids, like, they don't have words like gentrification. They don't have the political, you know, um, they don't understand all the politics involved in something like demolishing, like, housing projects. All they care about is their friends, their school, and home, and just sort of what's normal. And so, Is the ice cream truck coming today? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, when are we meeting up to jump rope? Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I thought it was important to sort of set it in a time just before things were about to fall apart. It's like a, it's a moment in history. Um, you go over to State Street now where I grew up, and it's like literally just barren land. Um, but I remember the moment that we were holding our breath for these things to sort of happen. Yeah. How much of the story would you say is is a reflection then on Chicago's history with public housing? Yeah, I um it's interesting before Robert Taylor before there was like a demolition of our buildings, I think Cabrini they'd already started tearing down Cabrini. There were places like Pruitt-Igo and St. Louis that were like sort of blown up and gone. Yeah. Um so I think I wanted to like slow down and show people what it's like to know that this is coming. Um, But so much of what happens in the book, it's from conversations that we had as residents, like this like lore that like, hey, one day they're going to tear down all the projects, you know. Um, And I really wanted to get that in there. Like, I'm not a journalist. I didn't do a ton of research. I really just thought about like my experience growing up there Mm -hmm. and what it felt like before everything just sort of started to crumble literally. Um, So I think it's, I think it's absolutely indicative of of how things went down. Toya, we talked a little bit about how Fifi's story kind of sounds somewhat like your story growing up. Think about the others, right? The other characters. How much did you draw from folks around you in real life? You know, it was important for me to, um, though I was talking about a story that happened in a community that's very similar to what I experienced I also had an opportunity to show people like four very different black girls. And when you grow up in the Robert Taylor homes, you are surrounded by people. Right. And so none of these girls are like friends I ripped out of my life. But I thought about the kinds of people growing up in my neighborhood. And I really um, I know that people don't talk about those kinds of girls. Um, And like, unfortunately, like for a lot of people, black girls have like one note. You know, yeah. <laughs> and and here's an opportunity to show you four different personalities and to give them like real goals. Some of their goals were, you know, I'd love to join my family's organization to become a gangbanger, which is, you know, it's heartbreaking, it's but it's, it's real. And I wanted I wanted characters like Stacia to exist in the world um, and have their own aspirations, whether we like them or not. But I think kids should have the chance to like dream and become. And so I just saw an opportunity here. Like here is an opportunity to like present four little black girls who have very different personalities and Mm -hmm. goals and characteristics, but who are also still just girls. To that end, you know, as we mentioned, this is a coming of age story of these four black girls, Chicago South side, 1999. Yeah. So many different stories are being told at once. What's it like to be a 12-year-old girl? It's also answering the question of, you know, what's it like to be a black 12-year-old girl? Um, One thing that can't be ignored, though, is the sexualization 
absolutely uh, of young black girls and and the theft really of their childhood they're literally robbed i'm thinking of tanya your character it's really heartbreaking to read her story can you talk a little bit more about tanya yeah, I I wanted to um, to explore a character who was not loved, protected, looked out for, um, but found some solace in a group of friends. Yeah. Um, because I, I came from a family. My mother would let me go anywhere, do anything. I couldn't sleep over anybody's house. I couldn't join the Girl Scouts. Couldn't do anything. So I sort of represent that kind of. Uh, girlhood. Yeah. But I also know um, that there were girls whose parents were sort of all over the neighborhood and not really watching out for them, which um, sort of put them in this place to be really vulnerable to terrible things. And so it was important to have a character like Tanya in the book. Um, It was important to have a character like Precious, who spends all her time at church because We know care. We know people like that. Oh, well, we are those people in every day. Or you are precious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, as you talked to the, the, your story about not being able to sleep over, I was like, that was me. <laughs> yes. It is I. <laughs> yes. And we get it now. We're like, oh, I, I see. Yeah. yeah. Something else that that struck me. We talked earlier about how rare it was to find stories centering black girls when we were younger, especially about storytelling, about life in the projects, because you often hear about boys. Sure. It's the boy's story, right? Yeah. It's what they grow up to do and what they see and the, the people they get involved with. Yeah. Talk about that. And that's important, too. Um, that's why you'll have these girls. They have brothers. They have cousins. They have neighbors. They have friends from school. But I think rarely, we rarely get the perspective of a little girl growing up in the inner city. Mm-hmm. Um, what it's like when she tries to ignore what's happening around her and just have a childhood what it's like when she's sort of um, interested in what's happening in the neighborhood. But I just, I don't know. I think we have to let little girls tell us what they want, what they like, who they are, and like sort of stop putting our ideals on them and pretending that they just have one note. You've talked before about um, drawing literary inspiration from Gwendolyn Brooks. Yes. I'm looking at your (laughs) face right now. It's lighting up. And I've heard you say, you know, she writes about the housing and the streets and, and basically the upbringing that I'm very familiar with. Yeah. Do you actually recall when you first discovered her work and, and how you felt reading it? So it was it was later. I was definitely an adult. Um, I think it might have been um, like We Real Cool, which is just like. It's about a Bronzeville um, that even at the time was sort of long gone. Yeah. It's like um, this neighborhood where you could go down the street and go hang out with people or go dance. Like by the time I was growing up, you could go to the liquor store and buy groceries. You could like, thank God there was a library. Right. But in terms of this being like this social epicenter, like Bronzeville had already started to sort yeah. of dry up in that way. So reading Gwendolyn Brooks, um, it just kind of revived a neighborhood that um, I often joke that Chicago is like a city on top of a city on top of a city. So you really have to ask, like, which decade are we in and like <laughs> who lives in that neighborhood? Because the this answer time? will depend on that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So when I we, when I read Gwendolyn Brooks, I always learn things, but I'm also visualizing a Bronzeville underneath a Bronzeville that I'm living in. Um, Interesting. And even learning about the Mecca Flats, which were sort of on IIT's campus, like they they sort of 
bought that land. This story kind of ends up in the novel. They bought that land and tore down the Mecca Flats, but Gwendolyn Brooks used to work for someone who lived in those buildings. Um, and they weren't housing projects. They were built to, they were built almost as like sort of a fancy hotel mm-hmm. um, for people who were attending the World's Fair. I learned about that just reading a very, very long poem called In the Mecca by Gwendolyn Brooks. So she's like, she's a historian. She's like a creative. And I just, I, I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> It shows. Um, and, and now you've got your own debut book. Yeah. You talked at the beginning about writing class, right? Yes. What did you learn throughout this process that you just didn't expect when you first set this goal? And I'm going to write a book. You know, I found my voice. Um, I talk a lot about voice. And when you do get me to teach a writing workshop, it's about voice and helping people figure out like how who's going to tell the story they have in their chest and what words they're going to use, what jokes they're going to tell. Like, that's really important. I figured out what kind of black woman writer I wanted to be. Because by the time I was in college, I was reading Tony Kane Pabara and Toni Morrison and Alice Walker. And then it just sort of dawned on me, like, you're going to be a black woman writer someday. What are you going to add to the canon? Mm-hmm. And like, who are you? So I think it was really great to kind of explore that. Who is this book for? I connect with this book. I'm not from Bronzeville. I didn't grow up in Bronzeville. I didn't even grow up in Chicago. Sure. But I felt like I connected with this book. But who'd you write it for? Hmm. You know this is not a writer's question. <laughs> um, who did I write it for? You know, I think when I set out to sort of document um, the history of this one specific block in Bronzeville, it was going to be important to kind of preserve history for the folks who might forget. So I think about um, the people who were growing up in Robert Taylor who now have grandkids. Mm-hmm. And maybe they talk about, you know, when they used to live in the buildings and all the community. And cause, because depending on who you talk to also, like my mother, it, like loved her childhood. Like, it was lovely. And then I was growing up in the 80s, and you know what happened in the 80s. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think about, I think about like, the black kids who are growing up right now who don't see themselves in literature, who even heard about the Robert Taylor homes where their parents or grandparents grew up. Um, and here's, like, here's a book that helps them sort of walk through this space and maybe, like, have a snapshot of what it, what it was like. Um, I'm also hoping that everybody reads this book and starts talking to the people in their lives about how it affected them in some way. I really yeah. hope it starts a lot of conversation. So yeah, I I figured those are sort of the two, yeah, the two groups of people I think about. How wonderful it would have been if this book was available when you were growing up at Robert right? Taylor Holmes. <laughs> yeah. What's next? I'm going to write more things for sure. Um, I'm I'm working on another book. I can't talk about it much right now. It's like in such oh uh, come on Toya, you can give us stages. something. But I will tell you this: it will be set in Chicago. Oh, there will be black women in it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> score. There will be food. Yes, um, I'm yes. also interested in writing for TV because I am a very extroverted human, mm-hmm. and I heard that TV writers sit around a big table and talk and eat and write, and that's that's my I jam. Think TV writers will probably tell you something else. <laughs> That is author Toya Wolf. Her debut novel, The Last Summer on State Street, is out now. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Toya. Absolutely. Great Thank book. you. That's all for today's Reset. Like what you heard? Be sure to give this podcast a rating. It 
really helps other curious listeners like you find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you back here tomorrow for our weekly news recap. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.